Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Psalm 119 verses 1 to 16. Blessed are those who are, whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statues and keep in and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that, oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all of your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will, not, I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. How can, a pers- uh, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me, you, teach me your decrees. With my lips, I renounce. I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statues, as one rejoices in great riches. I'm, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. This is the word of the Lord. I want to ask you a question as you come to church this morning. What is it that you want? A few weeks ago, I said to you, if, if there's anything that you want, and every one of us wants something, whether you want a job, or you want a new job, or you want a new boss, or you want to get promoted, or you want a bit more financial stability, maybe you want to be married, or you want to stay married, whatever it is that you want, whether you want a new car, or a car, or a vacation, if there's anything that you want, There's one thing you should want more than that, and that's wisdom. Because if we reflect on our own lives and we look at the lives of the people around us, if you don't have wisdom, whatever else you get, the risk is that it will destroy you or you might destroy it. I think if you want so desperately to be married, but you don't have the wisdom to know how to stay married, you will destroy that relationship or it will destroy you. If you want wealth, if you want financial stability, but you don't have the wisdom to know how to handle money, it will destroy you. And I said, you don't say that'll never happen to me because everybody says that, right? That wisdom is actually something we need. Now, if you're anything like me when it comes to this whole wisdom thing, and we're three weeks in, and if you just started or you've been here, you're like, okay, tell me what it is, right? I remember I grew up with a father who like, I would ask him a question, and then he would have this long answer. And I'd be like, no, 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 just, just tell me what the answer is. And he would wisely say, no, I'm teaching you how to think. And I would say, why am I going to need to know that when I get older? <laughs> right? Like, I was just, you know, we're, and, and we live actually in the Hey Google generation, right? Hey Google, just tell me the answer. Hey Google, I, I asked Siri a bunch of things this week. And it's like, I don't know, VJ, I don't know that. <laughs> like, I just want to know. But actually, if you stop and think about it, You know, wisdom is actually much more complex and and deep than information, than knowledge, 
than having all the facts. It's actually even more complicated than right from wrong. I want to know, just tell me the answer. So we're actually spending several weeks, and my hope is that over time we're actually growing in our understanding of what wisdom is instead of sort of going, oh, I got all the answers. So if you're here trying to figure out a decision, and a few weeks ago I asked you to do something bold. I said, if you have a big decision to make, if you have a purchase to make over $1,000, if you have a decision to make about a job or a relationship or anything, to just put it on hold for seven weeks and wait. Now, the hope is not that you're going to, oh, I got this little tidbit. Someone told me something today. Perfect. I'm going to go make a wise decision now. But actually that I'm going to be able to grow in my understanding of what wisdom is. Now, if you're a person of faith, you come to this whole issue of wisdom with a little more, maybe the million-dollar question that makes it actually more complicated, which is this. What is God's will? Right? The million-dollar question for us as people of faith who are trying to make decisions. What is God's will? Maybe somebody said that to you as you were young growing up saying, oh, we have to know what God's will is. And, or maybe as you've, you've heard about it, talked about in church or whatever you've seen, people are like, God's will, like how do I know what that is? But as they begin to become more aware of God, now, if we're honest, sometimes we're like, I don't really want to know what God's will. God, I just want to know, will you back me in what I've already decided to do, right? Like a lot of times our prayers are like, God, I've chosen to do this. Can you make it happen? Or God, this is the door I'm walking through. Can you open it? So, but if we want to step back and go, okay, maybe, maybe that's actually us playing God. And if we really wanted to know, okay, God, um, Dave talked about last week of actually used an S word, submitting to God, right? And letting God actually be the king and the Lord of our lives. If we're saying, okay, God, you're Jesus, you're the king. You're the only one who has the right to tell me what to do because you're the only one who actually gave up your life for me. So, so, okay, how do I know what your will is? Well, I heard a, um, a sermon years ago from my former pastor, who's still my present father, um, and I never forgot this about when this question of like, what is the will of God? It blew my mind. I've never forgotten, and I want to share it with you this morning. He's not here, but you can tell him I gave him props for it, okay? Um, you know, when we're praying about like, what is the will of God? Um, there's, a, there's, the scripture has um, a bunch of things in it that um, really actually tell us um, about the moral will of God, okay, which is right and wrong, the decisions that are right and wrong. You don't need to pray about whether you should cheat on your taxes or declare income. You just need to pray for the courage to do it. Some of you, that's all you needed to hear this morning, (laughs) right? You don't need to pray about, should I cheat on my spouse? You need to pray for the courage to stay faithful, Right? The moral will of God, it's actually not too complicated. It's actually pretty clear. We just have to pray for the will to to the courage to obey it. But most of the decisions that you and I have to make are not right and wrong decisions. Right? Where should I go to school? Um, Should I go to college or university? Or should I just take this, uh, you know, offer that's the job I'm already at? Um, should I accept this promotion? Some of you are like, duh. It's like, that's actually a wisdom decision. Should I buy a house? Should I buy a bigger TV? You can look up in scripture to try to find the verse and chapter. It's not going to be there. These aren't right or wrong decisions. Should I marry? How do I know whether the person I'm dating, I should marry? How do I know how to deal with uh, my kid who's making kind of destructive decisions in their life? 
All of this falls actually outside the moral will of God. And yet these are most of the decisions that we have to make and say, God, what is your will? Part of what we have to realize is, well, there's, these aren't right or wrong answers. So then it's like, okay, so, so then I can do whatever I want. That doesn't matter. Like God, and, and a lot of us actually live our lives like that. Oh yeah, I'm a good person. All this stuff, I get to do whatever I want. That's kind of how I live my life. But actually the scriptures sort of tell us that all these decisions fall in this other thing called, can I spell it right? The sovereign will of God. Okay, so these aren't right or wrong things, but these are saying, things saying all of these decisions find their place under the sovereign will of God. In other words, God is still in control. The scriptures say one of the verses that we, we write songs about and sing about and talk about a lot is saying God is working all things together for your good. That's actually a description of the sovereign will of God, that God is able to take all of the decisions that we are making and he is working his purposes out for the world. He's working that out. And so you can't screw up, in a sense, God's plan for the world. I remember someone saying to me years ago, he said, if Hitler and Stalin couldn't thwart God's purposes, God's good purposes for for taking even evil things and turning them into good, how are you going to screw up God's plans if you're actually trying to do what's right? You know, so just, just relax. This falls into the sovereign will of God. But what that means is, if God is the one who is kind of working all of these things together for his plan, you and I can't do that. We don't see everything. We don't see the end from the beginning. We don't have infinite knowledge. We don't have any of the things that God has to be able to manage all of this complexity. So then what is, if that's God's job to handle all of those decisions, what is our job in this? It is to make wise decisions right? Because this now is not about what is right and wrong. It's about what's wise. How do I make wise decisions? All of these things, they're not right and wrong, but God has a sovereign will he's working out. But what he has asked me to do is to have wisdom as I make the decisions that I'm making and to actually have his wisdom. Remember we said in week one that wisdom actually doesn't come from us. It's not something that's found within us. And it's more than just intellect. It's more than just a moral idea of right and wrong. It's more than just a good gut or strong feelings. It's more than just experience. So I've been through this. I've lived through this. That there's actually wisdom that you and I need for almost all of the decisions we have to make in life. And it is God's wisdom. And the good news is we said it is available to us. It is available to us. You might say, okay, well, how do we actually get wisdom? How do we get it? If it doesn't come from inside of us, in fact, if all of us have this bent towards foolishness, which is not stupidity, it's just doing things without wisdom because often we've done things we know what we should have done, but we did something else instead. That's not a mistake, as someone said. Like a mistake is when you forget to carry the one, right? That's a mistake, right? It's not a mistake when you knew what you should have done and you didn't do it. That's just foolishness. That's just sin. That's just a bent inside of us. Even though we know what we should do, we don't do it. So how do we get wisdom for the decisions, the many decisions, complex decisions that we have to make in life that we know there are no quick answers to. We read one book and you're like, okay, that makes sense. We need another book that says the opposite. We're like, that makes sense too. How do I know what to do? Well, Dave began last week by saying it actually begins with us recognizing that God is the Lord of our lives. It begins with us actually submitting or surrendering to God's leadership in our lives. 
saying, if you are wisdom in the flesh, the first thing I need to do to have wisdom is actually let you lead me to recognize I am not the king of my heart, but you are. I am not the Lord of my life, but you are. There's actually another thing we need to do as we do that to submit to, to actually be able to gain, to begin to, to absorb, to have the wisdom that God has for us. And we find it actually in this psalm that Brie read for us. It's in Psalm 119. Now, the book of Psalms is actually a part of a genre of scripture that is called the wisdom literature. It's the biggest book in the Bible, the Psalms, and the biggest chapter in the biggest book of the Bible is Psalm 119. And the whole psalm is about God's word, God's words to us. And, and if you notice it, when, when Brie read the song, if you've never heard it before, you've read it a few times, and actually one of the songs Janelle sang for us this morning kind of is, is a song from that psalm. He says so many things about, about the word of God. He, look at all the ways he's describing. He says, I, I want to walk according to the law of the Lord. I want to keep his statutes. The idea of statutes are things that are engraved. In other words, things that are true, they're always true. Statutes are things that never fade. They never change. There's things like, what's, what's changed? That, that, the things that are engraved in stone. To follow his ways. This is this description of like the way of life. What is the way that I walk? Follow his ways. Obey his precepts, which is his, his, the way that he applies himself to things. The way that he handles things. To consider his commands. To learn his righteous laws. Then he says this, to live according to your word. Now, Psalms were originally translated from Hebrew, so the Hebrew word for word there is dabar. But when they translated the, the, the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek, they used that word that we talked about a couple weeks ago, logos, for the word word, which, as I said to you, does not mean like spoken word. It actually means reason or understanding or wisdom. And so the psalmist, as he's writing, is sort of painting this picture of like this immersion into all of the ways and the thinking of God, like the thoughts of God, the things that God has written down, in a sense, at the foundation of the universe that never change, the, the ways that God actually lives. The psalmist is saying, I need to actually immerse myself in all of these things to somehow get them into me. All of the ways, the ways that you speak and the way that you think, they are wisdom. And if I want to keep my life on a path that I wanted to be on, I have to live according to the wisdom of God that comes from God's words and God's word. Many years later, the Apostle Paul was, would write to his protege, Timothy, and he would say this, all of scripture is God-breathed. It's such a beautiful word. Like it's, it's actually from a, two Greek words, theonoustos. It just means the breath of God. He's like saying, look, all of, of that which has been written down for us literally comes from the mouth of God. So we say, oh, what is God's will? The very first thing we know is that we need to know actually the words and the word of God. Like that what has God has spoken. And it's not about like, oh, what did God say about uh, job selection? And you know, it's like, no, there's, a, there's an immersion. There's actually an immersion in all of the things that God has said. Not a specific, you should do this or you should do that in this and that situation. But there's this idea of God's breath or God's voice or God's words constantly being given to us. And the psalmist is saying, yeah, somehow I want to wrap myself and immerse myself in it. And in fact, one of the ways to think about this, see, see we have it actually now in written form in a book, right? But, but 
back then it was like they were written down on scrolls, but it wasn't like widely distributed. It's not like everybody had a copy in their home or something like that. There were these things that were written down, and they came to the text, and in a sense, it said, okay, just as we submit to God, we need to know what his words that have been written down say to us. In our day and age, we're taught to actually come to a text and sit on top of it and say, what does this say? What's the author's agenda? Like you take any, any course that you may be taking in literature or university or whatever, what is the first thing they're saying? What was the author's hidden agenda? Try to pull the agenda out, dissect the text. We have a very, like what they call a deconstructionist approach to literature now, any literature, including the scriptures. Let's rip it apart. Let's take it apart. Let's understand what the authors are trying to do. And that's a good way to approach it. But what we do in many ways is like, we actually come as the authority on what the text is saying, and we're going to piece it apart and decide for ourselves. But that's not actually how we come to God's word. That's not actually what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, your words, I'm actually coming to them and letting them speak to me rather than me coming to them and saying, I'm just going to rip this apart. I'm going to pick and choose. I'm going to take this and leave that. And I don't think that's true. And I disagree. Psalms, they, they didn't have that approach to God's word. They said, God, all of this is God breathed. And so one of the things we need to realize as we come to God's word is we need to actually let it speak to us without first judging it. We want to read it, but we read it to, as if we were saying, this is the breath of God spoken. Somehow I need to get this into me. And he said, well, how do you do that with a we now have a written book. How do you do that with an app? You know, how do you, you don't bow down. We don't bow down and worship the Bible. How do you do that? Well, Jesus actually gives us this clue to how you and I are meant to actually get the words of God into us. And he says this once when, when Satan is tempting him, he's hungry. He says, hey, turn these stones into bread. And he says this, man doesn't live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, theonoustos. People don't live by bread, although we do know, yeah, actually you do. You have to eat if you're going to live. He says, yeah, as real as that is, you got to eat if you're going to live. He says, no, actually our real lives depend on every word that is breathed out by God. He was saying this, scripture is food for the journey. The wisdom of God is actually given to us like food. For the journey. Food we are actually meant to eat and take into our lives. That on this path that you and I are on, as we walk or in all of the ways of God, that the words of God, Scripture is actually food that we take into our lives for the journey. Now, we said a couple weeks ago, well, wisdom, you should search for it like gold and, and silver. Yeah, it's gold and silver, but it's actually more like, you know, broccoli and protein. Like, and you got to eat. Eugene Peterson in his book, um, Eat This Book, says this. Christians don't simply learn or study or use scripture. Listen to this. We assimilate it. We take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into acts. Get that? Isn't that powerful? That scripture actually comes into our lives and it does what food is meant to do to us. It actually metabolizes, it turns itself into energy that fuels life, that fuels action. All the way through, you'll find actually even one of the weird practices that they had, that the rabbis had, or that they would say even in, in some of the prophets of God, they would eat the scrolls. 
Like it was this, it was this mental picture of saying, this is food for your life. These are not just dead words on a page. You can't live unless you have the food of scripture in you metabolizing into energy and action. That this is what scripture is. It's food for the journey. And I was thinking about, it's kind of like scripture actually has food groups. Did you know that? Like not all scripture is the same. Like when you read it, there's, there's poetry, there's history, there's like prophetic literature, there's song, there's biography, the most important ones, the four biographies of Jesus, and then there's letters of instruction, there's even weird like apocalyptic literature like Revelation. It's all different kinds of food groups and all of it needs to be eaten. And, and like you need to actually recognize what kind of food group am I looking at here? One of the problems I think just as an aside that we've had with Genesis is we're reading the creation story thinking it's telling us exactly how the world was made. It's poetry saying there was day one, there was this, there was that, and there was morning and there was evening. Day two, there was this, there was that, there was morning. What is it telling us in a poem that God created everything? that there was a rhythm and that there was an order to it and that human beings were the apex of it and that included in creation was even day seven when God rested. And the word, the number seven, right, is this number of completeness, right? So you read it and it's like, oh, it's this poetic description, not exactly how it all came to be. Really, the world came to be in six days? Well, some people think that's true, some people don't. The point is, that doesn't matter. The, the, the point of scripture is saying, this came to be by God's breath in a rhythmic way. Creation has an order to it. Right? As, as we're reading. And then the history, right? You read the history of the Old Testament of Israel's people. There's not a lot of instruction in there for life because a lot of it's really a mess. What not to do. In fact, what, if you want to say, what does the story of the Old Testament tell us? That people need God and yet cannot get their way back to him themselves. That's the history of God and his people. And then, of course, there's the biographies of Jesus where God begins to complete this story for us. And so we read that and we understand. And then all of the letters written after the biographies of Jesus are saying, now that Jesus has come, it's changed everything. It changed how you think about money. It changed how you think about sex. It changed how you think about marriage. It changed how you think about being a man. What does it mean to be a woman? It changes everything. So listen to this. Now that Jesus says God has actually become a human being, now everything has changed. That he died and now he rose from the dead, now everything has changed. You get it? So that food is telling us what to make of our lives now that Jesus is alive. It's all food for the journey. All of it's good to eat. We need the, you know, my kids come home, like our family, we just love to eat bread. Like that's, this is what we would eat all the time, right? And the kids come home with the food groups. I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. But I found this amazing bread. Uh, a friend of mine once told me you have to like multiply the fiber over the sugar and that's how you know whether you should be in it. So I found this amazing bread. It's like got three grams of fiber and no sugar. So I eat it all the time. But I mean, I put peanut butter and other stuff on it, but like, you don't like, when you're eating food, like you don't like pick out the, oh, like there's the healthy bits. You know, and some, some of you do, I know, and you put it in a blender with that green stuff, and like, I don't know how you drink that, but that's not, you, right? You just eat it. You, you take it in, right? And you take it in over and over, day after day, and it metabolizes into energy, into fuel for life. And you eat every day, often. And let's just be honest. If scripture is food for life, some of us are starving to death. You are trying to live a life of complexity and all of these decisions, and you have no food in you. 
or you eat once a month, or you eat once a week. Or you come to church, hopefully to get your one meal for the week. You can't eat once a week. That's what Jesus says. It's daily bread, and you can't live by just food alone, just in the same way that you eat often. You got to eat often. You got to get this into your body. When I uh, was leaving my last job before I became a minister, one of the things our marketing organization was doing was sponsoring one of these crazy bike rides that people do. And our, our director was like, you all have to do it. So I called my friend Howie. I'm like, How, I don't know how to cycle. Like, I, you know, I was like eight, I think, the last time going to Becker's to get milk. Like, that's about as far as I used to go. Like, you got to help me. So he's like, okay, so here's the bike to buy, and here's these weird shorts. I'm like, really? You got to wear this stuff? Like, seriously? Someone needs to invent a different kind of clothing for road biking. But anyways, um, you're wearing something that's called a bib short. You shouldn't do that. But anyways, he says, here's what you got. And then we would go on these rides, and we started ramping up, like, the distance, right? So, like, you know, the first 50 kilometers, I'm okay. But then we're, we're doing, like, 80 and 100-kilometer rides. And I'd be okay, but I would come home, and I would sleep for seven hours. Like, literally, I'd walk home. Jen would say, how, how was it? And I'm sleeping. She's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I am bonking. Like, I am hitting the wall. I don't understand this. So then the ride actually comes, and it was two days back-to-back, like about 120 kilometers each day, and I killed it because we ate every 25 kilometers. Like, how he pops a couple of these, like, energy block things, and then he can just go. And I was like, I was trying to do that, and it was killing me. I'm like, I need to eat. Like, I'm an inefficient machine. Like, I just got to eat regularly. I was eating regularly, had enough, and it felt like it felt totally different to me. And I think some of us are experiencing this like spiritual bonking in the, in the life that we're trying to live as we come up with another decision and there's another way and we think this is going to kill me because we are not eating at all. You're thinking, why don't I, ca- I can't, I seem to make the decisions. That, why do I keep just trying to undo the stuff I did? Why do I keep looking back with so many regrets? Jesus says, you can't live by just the food you eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You got to eat wisdom for breakfast. You got to eat every day, eat often. And as scripture, and, and again, guys, it's not, we've all had this experience. We've read it and like, what on earth does that mean? Like, I don't know, just, I'm not going to eat again, right? You have a bad meal, do you just stop eating? No, like, you got to go back because you know. It's this over time, this thing, as it goes into your life, it begins to do something that begins to transform you from the inside out. The more you eat often, over and over and over again, it becomes easier to digest. You begin to have an appetite for things that you never have an appetite for before. And it literally begins to change us from the inside out. It literally gives to us what we do not have on the inside, which is wisdom. Many years ago, I think it was about 30 years ago, a guy walked into my dad's office. And some of you know the story, and it was actually, it was actually on TV because the story was so crazy that someone came and interviewed him about it. And it was a guy, and he had uh, years before, in his early 20s, just at a party, uh, you know, on a dare, had like tried to slam a whole bottle of Jack Daniels and went out in the winter night after he drank most of it, had sandals on, shorts, and a T-shirt, passed out in a ditch, and like fell asleep in the shape of the ditch. When they found him, his body was frozen in the shape of the ditch. They, they were sure he was dead took him to the hospital. They're trying to get a needle and like an IV into him. His body's frozen. They can't even get it in. He's dead, they think, for about seven minutes. And he actually comes back. The doctor managed to bring him back to life. And he says, he's opening his eyes. The doctor said to him, son, he was like 24. He's like, God gave you your life back. You better do something with it. 
said he left there, kind of kept doing the same thing, drugs and all that stuff. Comes into my dad's office. He just found out that he was a pastor of a church. He came and said, you need to help me. He's like, I can't even, and he said, he couldn't even speak properly. His brain was so fried from drugs. He says, I'm going to lose my marriage. I got a little baby. Like, I'm a mess. So he started seeing a counselor, and then my dad said to him, you got to start reading scripture. He could barely read. Gets the book, the scriptures, and a dictionary and starts to read. Fifteen years later, he walks into my dad's office. This time he's all upset because he feels like his seminary professor is not handling the gospels properly in his class. <laughs> this guy's a pastor now in our family of churches in the east end of the city. He's got two beautiful kids, they're grown children now, doing all kinds of crazy damage for God in the world. His life has totally changed. Literally, scripture rewired the synaptic connections in his brain. It literally reformed. Here's why. You say, oh, is this a miraculous book? This is why all of this is true. One of the biographies of Jesus, John captures Jesus saying this to his followers. I am the bread of life. See, they grew up in a tradition where scripture was, and he says, listen, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. It was this reference to Old Testament when, when Israel was in the desert, and they didn't have anything to eat, and this stuff came out of the sky that fed them bread. It kind of fell like rain, but they could eat it. He says, but they died. They ate that. They ate real bread, but they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven. He's talking about himself, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. This is one of the many things that Jesus said that got him killed by the religious people because he was saying things you should not say. He says, I am the bread of heaven. Whoever eats my flesh, and they were like, what are you talking about? And he didn't understand, but then he told, right later, he broke the bread. We do this thing, you know, in your tradition, maybe it's called a host or whatever. We do communion, where we take actually just bread and juice or wine or whatever, and we eat it. We actually take it. It's symbolic of what Jesus was saying. You need my life in you. You need me to live inside you to actually show you how to live. The reason that scripture has power in our lives is because it is the written word made alive by the living word, Jesus. The whole story of scripture is about him. It points us to him. Jesus says, you search the scriptures because they point to me. I am the bread of life. As you read, as you understand this, as you eat, it is as if my life is become made, made, being made alive in you and you are learning how to live life with me. That's why this works. One of my professors said it this way, and I'll never forget it. He said, reading scripture and the relationship between scripture and how this works is like Jesus in the manger. He said the manger was like a feeding trough, right? It's a mess. So is our lives. So is a lot of the story of scripture. It's messy. He said then Jesus was wrapped in these clothes. The clothes are common. So are we. So is the stories of everyday people in scripture. But the baby inside is the miracle. He said, scriptures are the swaddling clothes in the manger that reveal Jesus to us. It's not a magic book. It is a book that opens up to us the reality of the miracle of Jesus. The living word revealed 
in the written word is what begins to transform our lives. You get it? Which is why we need to actually get it in us. The more you take scripture into your life, Jesus says, the more I will live my life through you, the more you will change. The more you will become like me as I begin to do the miracle of transformation in you from the inside out. So, eat wisdom for breakfast. Like, eat it every day. Just say that. Say, I want you to say this on the count of three. I eat wisdom for breakfast, okay? Say it on the count of three. One, two, three. I eat wisdom for breakfast. I eat wisdom for breakfast every day. I don't know about you, but my life is far too complex for me to eat once a week and starve and try to make good decisions. I need it in me. Somehow I got to get this in me just like I get food into me. And then I would say this, you got to study with a buddy. You got to study with a buddy, okay? Maybe you have a friend in this church or maybe they're in your home group or whatever. It's someone that you say, I admire your life. Like I, you seem to have a life that is connected to God. Can I sort of get with you and we can study together somehow? Maybe a first date for some of you. I'm just saying, like, who knows? But, like, I can, you got to study with a buddy. But I would say most of my study buddies are, like, they don't even know I exist. They're, like, podcast mentors for me, people I've studied from. Well, now one of them is my father, sat under his teaching for 25 years. And so I would recommend to you, like, you can get access to people who can actually teach you what you're reading, right? Because if you're anything like me, you're reading and go, I don't know what that means. I have been taught what it means by people that God has gifted with the gift of teaching to teach me how to read and understand scripture. So it becomes actually food. It's actually as they are teaching me, it metabolizes, right? Like you need actually buddies. And so there's four that I've recommended for you. My dad's like 25 years of sermons. He'd be embarrassed by telling you this, but they're all still on Rexdale's website. You can go listen. In your home groups, actually, I recommended that there's a series, actually, and we can send that out in the midweek this week, where if you're saying, where do I even start? There's a series we recommended. Another one is John Mark Comer out in Portland. If you like hipster, kind of cool-sounding guy, you can listen to him. He's a really good teacher. Timothy Keller, they say he's like the C.S. Lewis of our generation. He's probably going to be dead in a couple of decades. The stuff he has hit, when I listen to him, he helped me see Jesus every time I read scripture. Blew my mind. And then Bruxy Cave, who's a uh, teaching pastor in, in, the, in the city uh, at the meeting house. These are just places you can start studying with a buddy. And then there's a resource online called The Bible Project. If you're trying to say, well, what is a book? These guys have actually done these six or seven minute videos that say, what is the book of Revelation? Like you're reading, it's like this trippy apocalyptic literature. It's like, yeah, just look at the overview. It actually helps you understand what exactly am I reading? What food group is this? How do I eat this properly? The worship team's going to come up and just lead us in response. I was thinking this week, though, uh, some of you have had the chance to go to Guinea, to the, um, to the Kids in Crisis Center that we support with Lizette Lavoie, and they've got over 50 kids there now, and many of you have given, many of you have prayed for that place. But I remember going, and, and when she sends letters about how the kids are doing, often she'll say, look how fat our kids are, because she'll send pictures of them as they pick them up from the bushes, literally a, a, a half a day away from death. Their bodies starved. And then she shows us the after picture of them like full and plump. She said, people look at our center and they see all the fat kids and they know good stuff is happening there. Right? And when we would go, we'd bring the food. These kids love food. I mean, they know how to eat. They're eating, but they're also like bathing in it, like peanut butter. I mean, this is the stuff which just would never happen in our schools, right? They're eating the peanut butter and then they're like rubbing it on their faces and stuff. Like they are into the food. I believe God looks at you and I 
sometimes in our starving state, you know, and he's compassionate. He's like, I want to fatten you up. You're not going to survive like that. You know, when God looks at you, he's compassionate. He wants you to be full of wisdom. Jesus said, I came that you might have life. You can't live without the breath of God in you. We want to be a community of people that people go, look at that place. That place is healthy. That place is thriving. Good stuff is happening in that place, in those people. You want a life that someone says to you, I don't even believe anything that you believe, but I want the life that you have. What is in you? This is the life that God, that God actually looks at and says, I want you to be full of wisdom. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the bread that has come down from heaven. We thank you that you have not left us to starve. You have not, you're not stingy, giving us little bits and say, try to survive on this. But there is fullness of life, words that have life, the breath of God actually breathed into us, the food for the journey, transforming us from the inside out. So God, help us as we strive to eat wisdom for breakfast, to get this into us more. And not just to read it, but to study it, to understand it, to have people who can teach us. Thank you for the podcast app. We have access to rich food. Thank you for the Bible app that millions of people have downloaded. Thank you that now it's not just a few people who can read with a few scrolls but your word has gone out all over the world. May we be people, may we have, we have stories, each of us, of transformation, of miracle stories. And it doesn't have to be that we were dead and came back to life actually, but Lord, we are all dead in a sense in our sins and you have made us alive. And so use your word to feed us. Change this congregation, Lord. Change our homes, our households, our workplaces that people will say, Something good is going on over there. 